This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia ora. welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rout. And today it's me doing all the heavy lifting, Ruth, but it's lovely to see you. <laughs> yes, good to be back uh, after the trio of crime writers this week. Yes, and um, what a wonderful night we had at Word listening to them all talk, and they got on so well together, so mm. it was a treat. It was. So today, two quite different writers. I'm talking with um, poet Elizabeth Morton about her new collection of poetry, and I'm talking to Dunedin writer Paddy Richardson, who's written a sequel to her very popular Through the Lonesome Dark. By the Green of the Spring is Dunedin writer Paddy Richardson's sequel to her very popular um, Through the Lonesome Dark. Paddy has written uh, several collections of short stories and seven novels, and the four of the last five were finalists in the Nairo Marsh Award. People will remember those who read Through the Lonesome Dark as as ending at the beginning of the First World War. And I don't know, Paddy, did, had, you, had you written it with the idea of a sequel coming up or did that kind of happen after you'd written the novel? I... I... I started writing something else. Um, I, de- I decided to write something a little less... Um, I, I found writing Lonesome Dark quite difficult in lots of ways. There was a lot of you know, work with the uh, structure and, of course, lots and lots of research, and I loved writing it. But I felt like I wanted to write something that was kind of just a little bit more simple. But I started something and my heart wasn't in it and my heart was still with my my characters, um, Pansy and Clem and Otto. And a few people had said to me, you know, are you going to write a sequel because we really want to know what happened? And I decided I really wanted to know too and I think my characters wanted to. They, yes. They get a little bit more attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a cliffhanger at the end, wasn't it? It was a little bit. Yes, I guess so. I guess so. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, well, of course, Clem came back from war and we and he, he arrived and that was the end of the novel. So we didn't know what was going to happen with him and Pansy and, of course, the little girl, Lena. Um, Pansy and Otto's daughter. So, yeah, I, I I really wanted to find out too, and I didn't know very much about Soames Island before I started this particular novel, by the Green of the Spring, and um, I'd actually got rid of Otto in a way because I wanted to send him off and focus on Pansy and and Clem and and the daughter, of course. 
But um, when I started reading about Soames Island, I, I knew that there was a story there. It's, it's an absolutely fascinating history and a very sad one. So, yeah, that, that pushed me forward too. Well, the, the, the novel begins with Otto incarcerated or interned mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Soames Island. And I think, you know, we've there have been other novels set there, but I think we haven't really owned up to the kind of brutality and um, deprivation that the men on Soames Island were um, subjected to. And this yes. book will certainly do that. Yes, oh, well, thank you, um, Lauren. I, I feel that um, it's, it's a disgrace, really, in our history. Um, I think one of the reasons that a lot didn't come out after the war or, you know, quite a while later was because most of the men um, on the island were actually deported to Germany, even though most of them had no longer no longer had links to Germany. They hadn't lived there for many, many years, if ever, I guess. Um, some of them... So they were they were sent back to a war torn Germany without without family, without um, jobs, without um, support, really. And I think that one of the reasons that they were deported was because I think that the government um, and those involved understood that if these stories came out, it would cause a scandal. So they sent them off. Yep, it was the easiest way to sweep it all under the carpet, mm, wasn't it? Mm, deport them, deport them back. There's yeah. another story in, coming up, surely, in that, but maybe you don't <laughs> want to be the one that tells it. <laughs> well, you know, it is coming into my mind that maybe there is a third story because we have Lena, who is heading away, you know, the daughter who is heading away to overseas. To take up a, an art scholarship, and um, we have Otto over there. So perhaps, perhaps, perhaps in the future, there might be a third book. We'll see. Well, that would be great research. <laughs> I think. Yes, it would. <laughs> I might have to go over to Germany. I think and do you a might. A bit of research over there. <laughs> exactly, and London in the yes, art school days definitely. of the 1930s, 1920s. Yeah, Sounds like a, a, a definite plan. <laughs> yeah. So to counteract the misery that Otto is going through in Soames Island is the is the sort of gentle pleasures of Lena growing up on the West Coast. Mm. And mm. you tell that from her point of view, a young girl's um, memories, or not memories because it's in real time, but... Um, what it's like for her to have a loving family around her, a, a father who she is getting to know, um, a lovely mother. Um, the worst thing that can happen to her is that she has to go and live in Oamaru. <laughs> yes, well, uh, well, first of all, the worst thing that she does have to um, face is the fact that her um, the papa comes back, uh, a man that she doesn't know. Um, and he's he's damaged by war. Um, he, he 
Lena isn't actually, of course, his child, though he's he's a very loving man and wants to wants to be a father to her. But he's he's dealing with his own grief, um, losing friends over there, um, the fact that he's you know he's disabled. Um, so that that's the first thing that she she does have to face, and then of course going to Oamaru, as she calls it, is a huge wrench for her because she she loves black ball and she loves um, her family there. But um, I enjoyed taking them to Oamaru. Um, I really loved finding out about you know the. Um, the stonemasonry there. I got. I had quite a bit of help there, and um, yes, I really enjoyed taking them there and and making a new start for the family. And of course, they had another little child. So yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. That end. Well, not it doesn't end because nothing ends. But mm. that is a, a story of optimism of of um, of people finding a new way and settling mm, into mm. a new community. I love mm. the way, though, that you talked about the um, the bush and the sea and and the West Coast surroundings because that's oh, what yes. Lena grew up with, wasn't it, yes, and what she yes. absolutely loved. Yes, and I, I, I went to Blackball because I, when I was writing the first novel um, and I really fell in love with it, so I think that was part of why I wanted to go back there for a second novel. So um, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've really, I really enjoyed being there and writing and walking and thinking about that family. Back to Soames Island, you would have gone and visited there. As I know, you were in um, Wellington on a writer's residency, weren't you? That enabled you to go and visit Soames Island and look into the. Yes, the history. Yes, yes. Well, that that was really, really helpful. And um, one of the things that um, that I found while I was there, which was just quite lovely, is um, at the Alexander Turnbull. I found that I found actual writing by the men um, in in the um, ex- school exercise books that they'd used. They'd they'd written their own account, and that was quite. It was very, very moving to actually hold those books in my hands and, and look at their writing and, and read what they'd written. It was one of the most amazing things that um, that happened throughout this, this this process. And going over to Soames Island, just walking around there, getting a feel for it. Um, I stayed over there for a few days. Um, I, I was able to stay in the, um, in the local iwi house, which was Really amazing and, and wonderful. Uh, something I found too while I was there that I hadn't actually put into the book, but I I knew that I had to was the the hideousness of the wind, which is just it's so exposed there, and the wind just rips into that place. And I was thinking about those men; um, they weren't able to to stay inside their quarters during the days. They they had to be outside, and I, I thought about that that awful exposure and that awful cold. No place to to get, well, they tried, didn't they, to, to make themselves little day huts and things to yes. 
yes, to, they did. to spend the time and they tried to have um, gardens and all sorts yes. of things to make their life even slightly more pleasant. Yes, and uh, something else I found while I was in Wellington is um, I found a box in an antique shop. It, it's quite a large box and it was made by um, men, by a man in Soames Island in the First World War. It was Russian. There was a note inside it saying um, that this was brought back by my grandfather who died in 1970. Um, and, and she see, and the person said, I don't know what wood it is um, because there are a lot of different ones, but I know that it was carved with a pocket knife. So that's a, that was a lovely find. And I've, yeah, that's one of my that's in the book too, isn't pieces. it? Yeah. Uh, that was actually another another one that I oh, found. Oh, right. Right, but the carving and the the boxes mm. and things. Mm. Well, Patty, you've done a magnificent job of intro- oh, thank you so of much. reminding us of that part of 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 our history, and also continuing the intriguing story of these three now four characters: Otto, mm. Lena, Clem, and Pansy. And uh, I can thoroughly recommend this. And people oh, are saying, thank you so much. "What a what a great piece of historical fiction it is!" So thank you. Thank you. The book is called "By the Green of the Spring." It's by Paddy Richardson, and it's published by Quentin Wilson Publishing. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM ninety six point nine. Stolen Pepeha. My mother is a night owl. My father is a tussock. I own memories alone. My celestial object is done for. The rust core of a lamp that was already out. A red star coughing through light years of average days. Days spent picking lemons and walking average suburbs, nodding at ordinary dogs. I know my trespasses by the ghosts of them. I can find the switch still. I can hold my hands to the glow of the fire escape and watch them burn into yellow petals. Every night I weigh my felonies against the basalt clot of heart. I was young once. I did things. Do you remember who I am? The forecast was for sleep. The kind that whiplashes your brainstem and forces birds from their roosts in the dendritic abhor. I was young and so afraid. Escalators and elevators, paddling pools. When the lamp is out, what do you see? I see me as the river, marbled with cow scat and duckweed. I see the yawning dark, the fine down that night makes of all things. This is where I'm going. There is a mountain where I'm always at the bottom. I stole the mountain in my sleep. I did things. I held the ignition until the blue flame slammed into life. My ocean is allegorical. There are no fish in my stories. The blue flame was never enough to acquire a heartbeat. I walked here myself, 17 and crashing into cabinetry like it was my own. My mountain watched me resist, up every street, through every average day. Do you remember, I came to keep my nouns in one plastic bag. It was my prerogative, 
said the man prescribing my fate. I ate the pills like I wanted to want to. I watched people talk round corners. I owned everything in my mind. I was the river. The river was my prerogative. I was young and full of the soft tongues of milk cows. I did things. You don't need to know. I was a sorcerer of suburbs so preferred that only the moon disrupted the minimalist chic. I picked lemons once. I nodded at ordinary dogs. My retreat was a series of dominoes waiting to fall. My mountain is the crowd I left there. Now I am old. That was Elizabeth Morton reading from her new collection of poetry, Naming the Beasts. Elizabeth has a Master of Literature in Creative Writing from the University of Glasgow, and her previous collection of poetry, This Is Your Real Name, was longlisted for the Mary and Peter Biggs Award for Poetry in the 2021 Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. This manuscript was shortlisted for the 2021 Kathleen Grattan Poetry Award. Elizabeth, I found reading your poetry a a very profound experience because you really command attention with the way you write your poems. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's because they're so dense. They're so full of images and words, words that I had to keep looking up in the dictionary. Um, (laughs) Emotions, thoughts, ideas. Um, It must be a very intense process for you actually writing them. It is is pretty full on. And, um, you know, I... I'm trying not to write esoteric word salads, but sometimes I think the density gives that sort of that sort of vibe. Um, there's not a lot of white space in my poems, and um, and this particular collection's got a lot more philosophical and um, kind of yeah, it, it takes a bit more to unpick the poems. I think the kind of riddles sometimes. Um, I mean, I I hope that I. I give enough sort of handholds in terms of tangibles and images to kind of get people through, but it's um, it's definitely a dense a dense collection. Well, it, I'm I'm imagining that you're the sort of person that needs to write that sort of poetry. Um, yeah, and it's um, oh, I'm hesitating to say. Oh, I won't say the words I was going to say. <laughs> oh, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> no, well, it. Um, oh, it's a terrible word, cathartic, but um, I don't mean that in, in, a, in a light sort of word uh, um, yeah, so way I, because I, I think you're working things out, very, very serious things as you write these poems, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and some of, it, some of it's about internal stuff and some of it's about the world at large and... Um, I think cathartic is the right word to use. I think it, it, it there's something kind of um, something afforded by the process of writing that that kind of helps me suss things out. So um, I think cathartic is a fine word to use. Yes, it sometimes can sound a bit dismissive, as if it's just a, yeah. a you know yeah. a, a therapeutic thing that you're doing, but it's so much more oh, than absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, and look, look, I, I I know cathartic in the pejorative too, but um, but I think I think it does well fit 
with um, with what I'm doing. So, yeah. Tell me amazing. about your love of all those unusual words, because I was I, I went and actually got the dictionary in the end because I was I was doing it in a very sort of trying to work it out from from the context, and then I realised I was bushed, and so. <laughs> And then you made some comment at one stage about um, in one of your um, poems about um, oh Scrabble tiles spelling invalid words, and I wondered if Scrabble was something that you played a lot of. Well, I'm I'm a terrible Scrabble player insofar as I'm I'm not sufficiently strategic, and I I love my words too much to sort of put them out there sometimes. So I. I do have a word farm, um, which is a, I've got a whole heap of words that I've written on cards and I keep them in a supermarket bag. And I've had that since I was about 17. And it's got wonderful words like sesquipedalian and circumambagius and oleaginous and all sorts of, but, you know, words you can't really use in like conventional speech, but um, but they're just beautiful and and. So, you know, they've sort of been relegated to the, the archives of history. They aren't, they aren't living words anymore, but I feel like it's my duty sometimes to bring them back. Um, there's a, there's a um, writer called Robert McFarlane, who I love too, and he, he's all about bringing sort of words that have been forgotten about the natural world back into play. And um, so some of my words come from his his book, so Glisk and Swarf, things like that. They are um, they are words I've magpied from his book called Landmarks. Well, they're not at all out of place in your in your work, and um, and that's what I loved about them. They add to the the richness of the of the work, and you could get away with not looking them up, but it was too tempting for me. <laughs> I had to follow. I had to follow them down. There are a lot of beasts, of course, in this, but they're um, they're not all wild beasts. There's a lot of miners that um, yeah. populate your work, for instance, and it's it's there's a there's a fine line, isn't there? A thin veneer between humans and it- beasts. Absolutely. I think I think in some ways I'm scrutinizing the idea of the human as just another animal, you know, we're sort of embodied and immortal and fierce. Um, so sometimes the beasts in this collection are, are sort of um, there to kind of pitch our humanity against. Um, and you're right, I've got sort of domestic animals and the, the wild ones. And sometimes, sometimes the beasts in my poetry are sort of more like archetypes or metaphors or sort of placeholders for emotions and things like that. So it's my way of kind of fleshing out, fleshing out the different bits of being a human, you know. We, we all have a wolf and we all have a cow, you know. We were, we're sort of, yeah, messy beings. <laughs> yes, one of the most, mo- well, they're all very moving pieces um, in your in your collection is about cows naming the beasts. Would right. you like to read that to finish the I, interview? I will. The title's actually taken from a William Blake painting, which was Adam naming the beasts. And um, yeah, naming the beasts. 
The planes went down the same day Romulus and Remus were butchered. Winter, and I walked barefoot through the cattle grass, moved to Romulus and Remus, and they said, how do you do? As though it were an ordinary Tuesday, as though the stock truck parked outside the old schoolhouse were just a metaphor for everything thrust into double digits. The sky was cheesecake. Sweet gums were balled to skin and bone. Wind licked the blue grass, retelling comedies only the weather sees. What world is this? Romulus and Remus were the hot breath rising from the schoolhouse kettle, the two sparrows that knocked against the car windshield on that lonely highway. They were a pair of headlights. They were possums spent on nightfall, giddy with the casual light of passing tankers. Romulus and Remus loped onto the truck ramp, said, how do you do? And I, and I, and I, I walked barefoot through embers only to turn back halfway, to shrug at the ordinary Tuesday, to let what happens, happen. I hid from the bellowing under husk and chaff in the noise of harrower and winnower. Later, I sat in the diner, watched two planes go down on a city into the stubble of people and places, just doing what people and places do, as though little men falling from windows were just a metaphor for everything haunted by what we never fix. Elizabeth Morton's new collection is called Naming the Beasts and it's published by Otago University Press. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.